Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 21. I'm reading from the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 11 to 21. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wander at this? Or why do you stare at us, as though by our power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But, God, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come, from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. This is the word of the Lord. In this passage, we find Peter going up to the temple in the afternoon. It was the time of the afternoon prayers. And so there would be many people that would be journeying into the temple courts in order to be able to pray. And on their way into those courts, um, beggars would line the entranceways uh, asking for um, alms, asking for help from those that were going in to worship. And that's what Peter found himself doing that day. And as he approached the man who was begging and asking for help, Peter turns round and says to him, I don't have any gold and I don't have any silver. And you can imagine that the, the man there was not best impressed at that point. I mean, Peter's kind of brushing him aside. And that then Peter, inspired by the Spirit, kind of sensing that God wanted to do something in that particular moment, reaches out and he says, Whilst I don't have gold or silver, 
I will give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And God's power was released, and the man found the strength in his legs, and he got up and went into the temple court celebrating and praising what God has done. And of course, when something like that happens, the people who had just walked past this beggar suddenly are surprised and shocked. He'd probably been there every day. He was probably well known by many of the people, and so suddenly something had happened, and a crowd gathers wanting to know more and gives Peter this opportunity to share with them what's taking place, how this man was healed. And so he does, and he jumps in with this really positive, uplifting speech, talking about Jesus and reminding them and letting them know that it was their fault that they rejected him, that they had him crucified along with the Romans. It really is not, when you read what Peter says, a very encouraging words. It really gets down directly to the reality of the need of those people who really had turned their back upon the message of God in Jesus Christ that had been physically in that place, in that temple, only a number of weeks before. It says, you denied him and you released a murderer. Well, that's just really encouraging. But then he moves into hope. He then brings the message of the gospel. Because he says, I, whilst I know you acted in ignorance, you really were doing what, what God's will was all about. That Christ would, be, would suffer and that his will would be fulfilled. And then he says, so repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. It's not too late. God's grace, God's mercy is present for you. Just as it was present with this beggar, it is present for you. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send his Christ. God wants to bring these times of refreshing, these waves of the Holy Spirit that would bring renewal, that would bring restoration. And what we see as we continue to look in the book of Acts is that's exactly what happens. As Peter and then Paul preach, share the message of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in power through them. And there is restoration. There is renewal. People are drawn in to the kingdom. I'm drawn into relationship with Jesus Christ. And transformation begins to take place that ultimately changes the entire world. That reaches into the very heart of Rome the oppressive power at that time and brings change and brings transformation. God works. And Peter's looking 
for that. He's waiting for it. He's longing for it. As we step into this place of Advent, it is a time of waiting, a time of expectation, a time of longing. As the nation of Israel longed for Messiah to come, we long for God to move, to bring renewal, to bring awakening into our world, to speak life and hope and faith again into our society. We need that because as we look around, we see a world that is broken. We see a world which is divided. And even more so in the last couple of years, we find ourselves more and more polarized. At times, afraid to share our opinion because it's just going to be distorted. But you know, when we look at Scripture, and when we look at, at, at how God has worked over history, we see that this is nothing new. We go back to uh, the book of Judges. There's this cycle that you see again and again of the people rebelling, really turning and, and, and forgetting God, and really going and doing their own thing, becoming independent. I don't need you, God. And as a result of that rebellion, and let's face it, that's exactly where our world has moved. We say, we don't need God. It's all about me and all about what I want to do. And I am the most important, and, and you can't tell me what to do. We have become a people that are rebellious, a society that is rebellious, especially towards God. And the result of that rebellion then for the nations was always restitution. Always they would receive what they really were asking for. God's blessing would be lifted from the nation. And they would deal with the reality of their sin, with the reality of their brokenness. Really the enemy would be able to come in and do whatever he wanted, creating further division and brokenness in the nation until finally they moved to repentance and cried out to God who would raise up a judge who we see again and again empowered by the Spirit would restore the land you know, that, that cycle of rebellion and restitution and repentance and renewal is seen throughout history. It's almost like every generation that, that, that happens sort of goes through this cycle as each generation needs again to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and accept Him and, and move into that place of restoration and God is faithful in continuing to send really waves and waves of His Holy Spirit 
to bring awakening, to bring renewal, to bring revival. And if we go through sort of church history, we can see that what began at Pentecost was a pattern. The Spirit is poured out. People are ignited. People begin to share their faith. Transformation of culture takes place. We see it with the Reformation and Martin Luther coming in. John Calvin bringing transformation to their society at their time. The Spirit fell and the Moravians moved into the 100-year, 24-7 prayer meeting and sent missionaries out around the world willing to subject themselves to slavery so that they could share the message and the good news of Jesus Christ with those that were in slavery, those that were the aboriginal people, the indigenous people in North America. They lived and they died for the sake of the gospel. We see the great awakenings with Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, and then the second great awakening with Charles and John Wesley. As God's Spirit was poured out in those places, God ignited moves of His Spirit. People, individuals, were alive with Jesus. Churches became alive with Jesus Christ. And the church became the place where people gathered to find healing, to find restoration, to find hope. And as the church grew, then it was able to influence society and change, lasting change, took place. Out of these moves of God, we, we have seen um, the abolition of slavery coming out of the second great awakening with, um, in the United Kingdom with uh, Wilberforce and John Newton, the former slave trader who wrote Amazing Grace. God can work. And as we sit here, Looking at our culture, looking at our lives, the question that we need to ask is, can God do this again? Can God bring revival to our world? You know, God's Word says that He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that means that if He did it in the 1700s, He can do it today. The period between 1900 and 1910 was really a time of worldwide revivals that took place. We saw them taking place in, in Wales, the Welsh revival, in India, in Korea, in Australia, and even South Africa. Moves of God's Spirit that took place. When we look at, at the events that were taking place, we see that there were pioneers 
people that went ahead of the revivals, really creating the space. You know, John the Baptist did very much the same thing. Prepare the way of the Lord. Between 1900 and 1907, um, a man by the name of R.A. Torrey, who is a contemporary with D.L. Moody um, out in Chicago, conducted revival services throughout the English-speaking world and, and also into uh, Korea and China. Everywhere that he went, he focused on really three things in teaching. He taught on the need for evangelism and the need for people to be right with Jesus Christ. And also to do that work of being able to share your faith with those people around. To be able to look for spiritual hunger in people. And be able to respond and to step in. And so he did revival meetings similar to a Billy Graham crusade. Inviting people to give their lives to Jesus Christ. But then he also took time to gather people to teach them about the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. That they could be baptized in the Spirit. Empowered to do the work of ministry. Not just the inward work of sanctification and justification. But the empowering work to, to cooperate and to come alongside what God was doing to be messengers of healing, of grace, to give um, hope to the world around them. And then the third thing that he, he did was continually talk about the need for earnest prayer and intercession, for the outpouring of the Spirit that needed to happen. When we look back in the book of Acts, that's exactly what the disciples were doing too. That's exactly what Peter's doing when he stands up and tells people that they need to repent, that they need to get right with God, that they need to deal with the brokenness and sin in their lives, and that they need the empowering work of the Spirit. Peter and Paul again and again would speak about and see God's Holy Spirit fall upon people, empowering them. Often uh, we see with words of prophetic words coming forth or even the gift of tongues, but not always. But people being empowered to be able to go out and bring transformation in their world. And Paul's constantly saying, pray for us, pray for us, pray for us, pray for the Spirit to be poured out, that we can communicate the message, that we can share what is so important. What we see is that these three elements, really, of focusing on evangelism, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and intercession, creates the space where the Holy Spirit can fall, and where revival can really begin to take place. Everywhere that Tory went, revival happened. He created and established the, the container 
as was he created the altar in which the fire would fall. And often that was through someone else, some other person that would come and would ignite and would be used by the Holy Spirit to ignite it, Evan uh, Roberts in, in Wales, others in, in North Korea in Penyang, and in China. And God's Spirit was poured out, transforming lives, so that in Wales, all of the, the pubs were shut because everyone was attending chapel services. God's Spirit was poured out so much so that if people walked into the, uh, the village, they were suddenly brought under conviction of their sin. So powerful and palatable was God's presence that it drove them to find places in the chapels where they could experience God's love and grace and accept Him. Andrew Murray in South Africa, preaching in Dutch to the Dutch Reformed congregations there, experienced the powerful presence of God's Spirit, said it sounded like distant thunder, and then suddenly the Spirit would fall and people would be on their faces as they realized their own need, their own brokenness, crying out for mercy. And God would meet them and bring them through. And then their cries of mercy turned to songs of rejoicing and celebration at what God had done. I think God is getting ready to do something in our world. As we see just the challenges and the struggles that we go through, the division and polarization that is all around us. It actually is very similar to the situation in 1900. There's not that much difference. God can do miracles, can do above and beyond what we ask or we imagine. God wants to pour out His Spirit upon His church, upon His bride. It begins with us. And as His Spirit, as we submit ourselves and surrender to Him, He takes us and transforms us. He takes and transforms the church that she becomes alive, that she becomes and begins to recognize the God-given authority that she has as representatives of the kingdom of God present fully here and now. And with the authority that we have as believers to bring healing, to bring reconciliation, to bring forgiveness into people's lives, that they can be transformed and drawn in. And as the church grows, 
as the Spirit is poured out, God's Spirit then begins to bring transformation within the church, but then beyond that into the, what we call the common grace structures of our world. Those places of government, of society, are transformed, are renewed. That's what God wants to do. That's what we, as we sit in this time of Advent, can be looking for, waiting for. Advent is a time of waiting, but it's not a time where we just sit back and do nothing. It's not a passive waiting. Like standing at a bus stop, waiting for the bus to come. It's active. It's the kind of waiting that you see in a, in a restaurant where the server is constantly watching so that they can be present whenever there's a need. God wants to have us ready. And that means our hearts need to be fully surrendered to Him. We need to allow God's Spirit to work within us, to cleanse us, to heal us, to get rid of the brokenness that is inside of us. And as we become more and more surrendered to Him, allowing the Spirit to empower us to be able to do that work of evangelism, to be able to see and, and recognize spiritual thirst and to be able to speak into it, and to do the work of intercession, praying for God to move. Because God longs to answer that prayer. God longs to pour out His Spirit to bring transformation. It begins in the heart. And it begins with us. Let us pray. Father God, we want to see renewal and revival in our land. We're tired of seeing the brokenness. We're tired of division. We're tired of seeing the effects of sin so prevalent. Lord, we long to have you move, to pour out your Holy Spirit upon this land and upon our world.
we long to see your church ignited and filled and passionate with the love of Jesus Christ, showing mercy and grace and standing in the authority that you've given her. And Lord, we know that there is so much healing that needs to happen within our body, within the body of Christ itself. But we know that you are able to do above and beyond all that we ask or imagine. And so, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would move in our hearts and in our lives to renew us and to renew a passion for you, a longing for you and a desire for you. And we pray, Father, that you would also pour out your Spirit upon us to empower us to be able to be people of your kingdom in our world, to be the people that have the answers, to be the people that can offer hope, to be people that can extend their hands in healing and even see signs and wonders and miraculous events take place. Lord, we pray that you will pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Lord, we want those times of refreshing that come from the Lord. And so we ask, Father, that you would search our hearts that we may repent and that we may receive from you all that you have for us. Lord, as we wait, we wait with expectation and longing and hope, knowing that you who are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow will bring an answer, will bring a wave of your spirit that will transform our world and ultimately will see the return of Jesus. and the full establishment of your kingdom. Lord, we long and we wait and do so with you and in your power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.